Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, a Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk to the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the Perky Pixelscapes, the captivating Carla Everson, and the superlative Scott Adams. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chuck and John, and today we're going to talk about how our props and minis gamers have been doing through this whole social distancing thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Before we dive into that topic, though, we're going to ask our let's get to know a gnome question. The question today is what is the coolest prop mini setup you've ever seen for an RPG? And I'm going to start with Chuck. Okay, so I've got two. My first one I was told is technically cheating, but I'm still going to bring it up. Uh, and that was at True Dungeon, which I've only done once, but it was an absolute blast. And uh, it was the point in the game when the rogue had to pick a lock. And they pulled out this device that was essentially like a, a version of Operation, where the, the rogue had to basically go through this whole sort of almost maze without touching the edges of it. And it was such a cool atmospheric thing because it was very brass and wood and, and sort of setting appropriate while still being relevant to the game. And that's kind of a high watermark for me in terms of what a prop can or should be. But I guess that's not an RPG. Uh, <laughs> so the coolest setup I have to see beyond that is actually probably the one that got me into building terrain for the first time, which was a Savage Worlds game that ended up being a full trailer park that had been sort of brought down to hell and uh, had great figurines. Everything was just beautifully painted decals. It was a professional artist that did it. So it was just on a whole other level, and it was absolutely fantastic. I think that Savage Worlds thing is going to be a common theme. I suspect so. Yeah. <laughs> you Like you all know where that was? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And John? Uh, you know, so so I tend to be kind of a like trash picking uh mini sort of gamer. Like I, I'm I, I am not patient enough to do all the perfect sort of stuff, but I really like the cleverness and I like those sorts of things. So I'm gonna go for two because what one of the coolest things I, I really like doing is there's a gaming store that has war gaming that goes on, but there's a game day they don't do war gaming and people go in there all the time and take all the wargaming stuff off the shelves, set it up on the giant wargaming tables, and are like, and here's how I'm running my D&D, and I put zero effort into this. And they have this giant, fully built out of uh, oh god, what was it, the dungeon bricks, or like, you know, uh, the, the person who made the silicone molds that you oh, pour her your own plastic. Her starts, her yep. starts, yes, you know, made a whole enormous castle battlefield scene. And, you know, I'm, I'm the sort of person who has that her start mold and has never quite gotten around to using it. Um, <laughs> but, but so, so that's the most impressive, technically, you know, interesting ones I've seen is just like people doing this at the store with all the just, you know, kind of stolen Warhammer and Wargaming stuff. But the one that I really like is one that I have done, which was a, um, <laughs> A sea battle, you know, and what I did was I went out to Michael's and got like, or Joe and Fred, some craft store, I don't remember exactly which one it was at the time, got a giant sheaf of watercolored fabric and laid it out all over a bunch of tables. You know, like a couple of like uh, uh, card tables, long plastic tables, TV trays, set them at different areas, and then I had it weighted so I could roll it every so often and it would just roll the waves you know and then we would put the miniature ships on it but what was really cool and what they didn't know was I had some places planned I couldn't fit the entire table in there like I couldn't cover every space 
So there were some spaces that the moment they moved their ship onto it, their ship started dipping in. Which is when they discovered there was also a Kraken in their sea fight that had yanked their ship in. And they didn't <laughs> discover it until they are like, all right, we move six squares this way. What? And I'm like, no, 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 just go for it. Just let it. Because I I'd already tested it. I knew it would hold it. It would turn it to its side. All their minis fell. I'm like, make your rolls. We readjusted. And I love those sort of like simple, interesting, immersive. You get to watch this thing happen and be like, oh god, I'm falling overboard, even though it's a small piece of plastic that's mm-hmm. falling off of a thing. You're like, no! So so that that's the one that I've enjoyed doing the most. And it definitely wasn't pretty, but it was fun. That's pretty cool. What about you, Angela? So again, back to Savage Worlds. <laughs> a few years ago, now, now Savage Worlds is known for doing their fantastic mini setups. Uh, the local guys here in Western New York are known to bring some great mini setups. And whenever I've played at Origins or Gen Con, they take it to the nth level. They they really go all out. There was once where I was playing some sort of Indiana Jones S game, and they actually had a pyramid where we entered at the top, and they slowly removed layers as we went further and deeper down into the, the pyramid. But the one that I found the most impressive was I signed up for a superhero game. I figured it was a superhero game. It didn't say anything about it being DC or Marvel or being a two-table game or anything like that, but it was basically a DC-Marvel crossover. We had one table of Marvel characters, one table of DC characters, and the climax of the game was all of us getting transported into this city that was an amalgam of Metropolis and New York City, and we had to fight a battle against Ultron and Brainiac. and. It was a full city setup. They had skyscrapers, they had city streets, they had streetlights, they had cars around it. It was just, they had thought this through, you know, like, what are we going to do with a fight where we've got somebody playing the Flash and somebody playing the Hulk? You know, what's this fight going to be like? What are we going to have to have in the city? And so they had one table for the Marvel game, one table for the DC game, and then a third two or three tables that have been pushed together for this cityscape. And it was, it was so amazing. There, but for the lack of a winning lottery ticket, go I. The funny thing is, is that day at Origins, I had signed up for two games. I signed up for that Savage Worlds game in the afternoon, and then I had friends running a Marvel DC crossover in the evening that I had signed up for. I didn't know the Savage Worlds was a Marvel DC crossover <laughs> game. And the funny thing was, is I got to my friend's Mutants and Masterminds game, which was a Marvel DC game, Mm -hmm. uh, and the ultimate villains we were fighting were Ultron and Brainiac. (laughs) It was kind of hilarious. Some flavors just go great together. It is is the (laughs) peanut butter and chocolate of comic books right there. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So so which one said exterminate and which one said eradicate? All I remember is in the, 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 the first game, as I was playing Jesse Quick, who is a mm-hmm, Flash mm-hmm. family character. And in the second game, I was playing uh, Scarlet Witch. And the, the funny thing was, you know, like going into gaming war stories here, but the funny thing was, is in that second game, the Justice League gets transported to uh, Latveria, where they meet with Doctor Doom, and they're instantly like, he's a bad guy, his name is Doctor Doom, we can't trust him. In the meantime, 
the Avengers get transported to somewhere in the DC universe where we met Lex Luthor. And Tony thought, I like this guy's ideas. You know, this guy has some good ideas. And we're just like, Tony, stop. I mean, in defense of Lex Luthor, a sentence that, yes, I have said more than once. There are some interesting takes on that character over time. Yeah, there are. That, that I think are, they are worth reading for the interesting takes. Yeah. You're not wrong, Lex. Right. You're not wrong, Lex. You're just an asshole. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And on that note, moving into our topic of discussion. We are coming up on a full year of social distancing, and most of us are having had to have taken our gaming online. And I thought it would be, you know, an interesting time to take a moment and chat with our gnomes who are known for their minis and props and check in and see how you guys are doing, because you haven't really had the opportunity to use your props and minis much in the last year. And I know, Chuck, you you kind of just got into your your prop making you were making some right awesome as everything stuff. went down yeah i mean I, I i had just gotten started and i i had a few enthusiastic players when when that whole thing was getting rolling it's it's kind of taken off since then i've done a lot with the the skills that i need to build to do more but i've also been really blessed that i have some neighbors that i've been occasionally able to play with but of course as the numbers spike here in maryland we've been not able to see each other even within a single mm -hmm. pod. But I will say one thing that's definitely come out of my gaming experience is you have this problem that the first time you see people and you're able to game is also the first time you're seeing people. There's very much this danger of trying to get everything done all at once. And I, yeah. I did try to have a game that was very terrain-centric and also very social and also very experimental. And it didn't go badly, but it also didn't go well. So it's that that issue of try, like you said, trying to do too much at once mm -hmm. because you've been apart for so long and you, you tend to, it, it, you know, as an example, when we started gaming online, I very much purposefully factored in about half of the game session being devoted to technical support, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, because I knew most of my groups didn't had never done this before. This was not how they normally gamed. And. I was the one kind of coming into it with experience, so had to factor in that, okay, we're not going to be gaming on, you know, hour one and a half. We might start gaming at hour two, so mm -hmm. let's be patient and kind to each other. Like, like Chuck said, <laughs> I, I know the first game I have back in, in person with my local group is going to just get nothing done because it's and it's going to be so weird refiguring mm -hmm. out the dynamics of the in-person like oh my god how are you doing what, i haven't seen you in forever and just even <laughs> you know I, i'm sure other people have done this and you know not not to get pandemic gripey but like when i see people being too close together on tv shows i'm like what are you all oh, right it's the 80s it's the <laughs> 80s okay it's fine it's because you know like i, I work for an evidence-based nursing organization so it's been hammered into my head and i'm just like no this is not what you do and it's it's so odd to kind of re-navigate that and then what you know what do we want out of our games when we get back to it are we all going to go to be more social rather than more like terrain actiony at least for maybe a month or two we probably are you yeah know? oh the other thing you know i i have to you know consider with the going back to in person is because we were able to go online we've added in people who don't actually live locally mm -hmm. You know, one of my friends moved to, you know, 
John's neighborhood. Scott is somewhere in Columbus right now. And we were like, you know what? Do you want to play? Because we're playing online and you can join us, you know. And in the other Saturday group, one of the folks has, uh, she got a job in Albany. So she moved to Albany, which isn't that far away, but it's still like, if she's coming out, it's for a weekend trip, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So how are we going to handle playing in person then? I want to get back to playing in person because I need that social engagement, but, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, uh, you know, I, I moved all my gaming online, as, as Ange, as you know, you're you know, one of the mm-hmm. games I picked up because I'm like, you know what? There are people I never have a chance to game with because they live far away, but... <laughs> I'm doing all my gaming online right now. Why not start up a campaign with people who are in, like, seven different states, you know? We'll just have to accommodate for the time zones. It'll be fine. But it it is very different, and it's going to... The genie's out of the bottle. I don't think things are ever going to be back the same way they are. And honestly, I think... um and I'm halfway through writing a, uh, an article about, like, I don't think I'm ever really fully going back to minis. Because, like, I'm like, oh, I have gotten so used to this technology, and I've already built myself a map, a map TV, and, you know, how can I accommodate, and what's the good middle ground, and things are only going to get better. I'm, I'm kind of surprised Roll20 has not come out with an update in the last year, like, of extra stuff you can have, or things that really, like, increase it, you know, as they've just gotten a lot more business, you know, and, and there are places like Astral Tabletop and Foundry and other things that, like, already accommodate animated maps and i'm sort of like well, why doesn't this other one yeah. do it because i i really want to use it like they were great in, in my other setup in person now everything's online so yeah i hey if anybody from roll 20 happens to be listening to this i would also like to see support for animated maps but i have to wonder how many of their development resources are taken up with their interface with uh dnd beyond which is oh yeah honestly a yeah. beautiful beautiful setup and it and it's an ill wind that blows no one any good but <laughs> i think a lot of folks are starting to get to game with people they haven't gotten to game with for a while i know it's certainly true for me as well i know we were having my group was having the debate this past weekend on fantasy grounds versus roll 20 because they both have their you know, it's a finance to run D and D in either of these things. It's a financial mm-hmm. investment. You know, let's be honest about that. It is a financial investment to have the assets. Mm-hmm. Now, I think in Roll Twenty, there's a little more wiggle room of I have the stuff in the book over here, so I can plug it in over here. I don't necessarily need to have the book that this is in to have it. You just have to do a lot of copy me. and pasting and right. tweaking. But unless you have D and D Beyond, I'm really not <laughs> exaggerating about how much of a game changer that interface has the potential is, is, to be. It is the- I was actually talking to somebody recently, and I think when she was running, it wasn't integrated because she basically had D&D Beyond and then would just manually put all of the stuff into Roll20. And and you know what? I uh, That is phenomenal. I have already decided to take the leap and drop a bunch of stuff, buying it in, in like <laughs> Roll20. I don't really want to go buy it again in D&D Beyond. Yeah. So... I literally today just finished ending up buying almost everything in D&D Beyond, and there's content sharing set up such that if you are part of my campaign, you can view that. So if you want an invite, I have kind of a catch-all campaign, and I'd actually be really happy to like run the two of you through an encounter just so you can see how smooth it is, because it is genuinely a game-changer. 
So, okay, end timeout. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get back to the topic yeah. at hand. Right, right. You know, because there there is a degree of, I, I feel like some of the same, cre- a similar creative energy to what goes into creating props and minis can also go into creating the virtual tabletop space. Exactly, exactly. They're, they're not exactly the same, but they are similar. I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, the virtual tabletop is much easier to do than, than the actual physical terrain, certainly easier to set up and take down and everything else. But I, I think you're 100% correct. It is very much that same energy because you have to have that spatial sense. This is how far away the throne is from the goblin encounter that happens over here. Right. And, you know, I, I have found... <laughs> It's because we're kind of, we, we came from a 3-5 game that we morphed into 5e because we did go to like, yeah, I'm just buying all the Roll20 assets. I'm buying, like, and it's a Debron game and we're doing it, you know, with airships. And some of my players cannot get over, the, you know, the thing where I'm like, oh, it's pretty abstract. You're about 500 feet. And they hit Q, grab the thing and be like, oh, I can't get over there. I'm like, your manticore mount can get you like it's fine you know just go ahead and do it and i find like people are adhering to more of the technical like it it honestly is pulling us closer to a video game sort of paradigm and i kind of love that i i already poured a lot of stuff from video games over to kind of make it easier and in more interactive in different ways um you know so it's phenomenally easy to build maps that i couldn't you know that the the water map i've approximately made something like that for airships and other naval combat that's way better and way more useful and and way more utilitarian like it doesn't have the same impact but it is easier and looks better Mm -hmm. but then you have that thing where players look at it and i'm like well i'm i I just finished playing through my early access of Baldur's gate or i I went Mm -hmm. back and played shadow run returns okay wait how many square you know and we're, we're gonna get trapped in those mindsets you know, no matter how much your your DM or storyteller goes, yes, you can get there. But but I, it's too far. You can get there. <laughs> so I I wonder how much of that is priming because the the battle maps look like video games. Uh, one of the things mm-hmm. that I try to do is have splash pages that are something other than a map. And when there's mm-hmm. role playing, people are not looking mm-hmm. at a map; they're looking at an evocative picture. And of course, I'm saying all of this like I'm any kind of skilled with doing any of this and I don't screw it up every time. <laughs> but th- that kind of thing, because if you show people a hammer, they're going to look for nails. If you show people mm-hmm. a battle map, they're going to start thinking about tactical stuff. And that is something that we're missing from the in-person game, because I can't hand you uh, the Wand of Orcus that we made and has the cool shining light that makes you think Wand of Orcus in my hand. So it, it's what you have. And sorry, Angie, you were just getting ready to say something and I, I rolled over. Well, you. I, I think that actually still leads into what I was going to say is I think this leads into a question that is relevant for both physical props and minis and virtual tabletop setups. When do you decide to put the effort into creating the space? Mm-hmm. Because as, as you say, John, there are times where you're like, you just want to go narrative. You don't need to be like nitty gritty on the numbers all of that. But there's also times where that's useful. And how do you figure out the balance of, you know, having maps that are great for climactic encounters, but also having some sort of setup that's like, we're just role-playing here. 
And maybe there's a little combat, maybe there's a little bit of social, but we're just role playing. Yeah, and and I think for different games, it it, it you know it's going to be different, of course. But Chuck, like you said, you know, here's my splash page, here's my image. Like that was actually one of the first articles I wrote for Treasure Tables back in the day. Go find an image, show it to your players, mm-hmm. and bring their brains into that space mm-hmm. of the picture frame. It's so much easier to do that now. Like like I've got a a place where when they go meet their like confidant person they walk in and here's her steampunk coffee you know distillery mm-hmm. and it's just i will never do a map of that even though i have found some beautiful ones because this is where you go to talk this mm-hmm. is not combat for for my savage worlds east texas university game they had a situation where they knew that somebody was hexing the quarterback of the team to make the team lose and they needed to help stop this I could have gone out and fi- find a usable map of a f- college football stadium, but the minis would have been so small on that map that it would have been nearly useless and like doubled the amount of time it would have taken to get through that part of the scenario. Whereas instead, I just found a picture of a college football game at night with the stadium looking down the field and put that up as a splash page. And, you know, everyone knew what we were talking about. Everyone had an idea of the layout that we were looking at, but I didn't have to go down to the battle map level, you know, investment. At the same time, later on in that scenario, when they had to go rescue a little girl who had been kidnapped by some mob groups, it it, it makes sense. It's all connected. Don't worry about it. Um, I actually had a battle map of the house that they had to get into to find the little girl because that was more down on a minute level and it was the more important tactical situation for the game. The, the sort of, hey, I noticed this dresser is a jar in the, in the map. Is it actually a jar? And that's when you're like, good eye, you found the thing I totally hid in there. Okay, the dresser is a jar. You know? <laughs> and you're like, yes, that's totally better than what I thought. But, but no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, to me, maps and terrain, physical or, you know, virtual, fulfill two major roles in any game. One, they tell you what's there so you can understand mm-hmm. how to interact with it. And two, they wow you a bit. They make you go like, like you know, yeah, you can just draw out on, on your grid paper and that's phenomenal. It's, it's more abstract, like you, mm-hmm. you know where stuff is. But if you're like, and here's the Indiana Jones temple, like you said, people are like, <gasps> yes, amazing. And they're suddenly more excited. And I feel like that's almost automatic when, you know, I go to like, our battle maps, and I'm like, oh, saving for later use, saving for later mm-hmm. use, you know, because it's got the wow factor built in, but it does kind of lock you into the tactical gaming, even if, you know, like uh, in, in our game, Ange, when, when there was that, like, image of, of undead giants, demon control, yeah. that was a battle map, of course, and I'm like, oh, I love that, I want to use that, and I went looking for an image, and I couldn't find anything that evoked the same thing, and I'm like, yeah, but you're not fighting this, but where's my, like, great art that I can find and credit to somebody yeah. of, like, giant undead, flayed, you know, giant beings, and it's like, oh, somebody didn't make it, and I can't draw it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so to bring it back, I, I think that's actually two things. One, uh, I didn't know our battle maps was a thing, so guess oh. what I'm subscribing to tonight. <laughs> uh, and second, Ange, you said, uh, where do you draw the line in building those maps? And I think it's exactly mm-hmm. the same place you draw the line with physical minis or physical terrain, which was, where do you have fun? Because I have had a lot of fun putting together Roll20 maps, and I've also had times when it's really tedious putting it together, and when it's tedious, don't do very much of it, 
when it's fun, do it until it stops being fun. Right. And that comes through. And I actually, you know, I, I get, you know, to an earlier conversation we were having before we started recording, I get angry at people who, you know, have a stance and refuse to acknowledge the value of a slightly different stance. In other words, minis versus not minis. I played D&D once with a guy who felt he was better than using minis because theater of the mind <laughs> is truly where proper gaming happens. And he wouldn't let me use my freaking backstab because he couldn't imagine how my character could get into position to backstab. And I'm like, you know, what? if we had a map, if we had minis, I could show you <laughs> how I can advocate for my character here and do the cool thing. But because we're using theater of the mind... It wasn't allowed. In his defense, it is really difficult to imagine positioning when your head is that far up your own rear. <laughs> oh! Damn! That's you. Nice backstab. <laughs> totally original, not a statement that's ever been made yeah. in any other context ever. All me, copyrighted, you know I get 10 cents every time you say it, yep. Yeah, okay, Absolutely. cool, awesome. <laughs> and uh, uh, let me use the sarcasm font emoji right. that I have to pay $10,000, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I keep wanting a sarcasm <laughs> font in real life, and then I realize I have a face, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, no, no, and, and that is an, a very interesting thing. Like, it sounds like you were having the exact opposite problem I was having. I'm like, yes, you can do that. This is just representative. Right. You're having, no, no, I can't imagine it, so you can't do that. But, and... I think it all comes down to when's the right time for it. What's the this is the right situation right. for a map slash a, a heavy terrain. This is the right situation for more narrative. Let's do the little subtle psychological tricks that that push you one direction or another, if we can. And that <laughs> this kind of comes back to to where I love kind of tricking people by giving out a lot of inspiration. Like, oh yeah, you've got six inspiration. Hey, if I spend an inspiration, can I have jumped over him, moved into mm -hmm. the area, and got a backstab? And I'm like, I was going to say yes anyways, but you weren't going to ask until you felt you could pay for it. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that sort of thing. Like, detailed maps and terrain are awesome because you're like, ooh, there's a tree there. What if I jump up and spin off that tree, which you may not have brought into the narrative mm -hmm. otherwise? Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, this, this gets into the permissive versus restrictive gms and when you've played with a permissive gm who you're like mm, i really wish i could use my sneak attack in this situation they're like give me an acrobatics check and see if you can tumble through their legs or tumble over them or something like that sure you do it you get spec something spectacular result you get to narrate a really cool thing and then you get to do your sneak attack damage whereas a restrictive gm is more like they already have a vision of what is going on and if they can't like, they're more concerned about their vision of what is happening than allowing the player to necessarily play in that sandbox. It's a little mean, but I mean, you, you guys know what it I is. mean. So, so I have a question to, to circle back to something else, because Chuck, you said, I, I get tired of building, you know, maps. How often do you build the map from, from scratch? Like, because I know you're doing stuff with terrain, but once you've got a terrain piece, like, oh, I have 15 walls I've made out of something, you can kind of modularize them. H how often do you build from scratch a map? Mm, less than 10% of the time. Okay. Um, so the do not assume that modular terrain is as easy to put together as it seems. I, I would oh, yeah. actually argue that using the terrain <laughs> is in many ways harder than making it. Um, but the, the problem with, with battle maps is it's not so simple as just dropping a JPEG into Roll20. You need to have 
the enemies, you need to have the lighting effects, you need to have... And it's putting all of that stuff together that gets kind of tedious to me, unless there's a really Mm -hmm. strong thematic element that you're wanting to do with it. I've only really done, in recent memory, two dungeon dungeons in Roll20, and one was a sewer, and I leaned in on the sewer, and the other was a, a literal battle map of the inside of some gigantic creature, and I really leaned in on that. And those were fun, and I did those thoroughly because they were cool and thematic and strong. If I were to try to do that for your standard cave dungeon, I would... I would be unconscious within five minutes. I I just can't do it. And so as a result, players are only going to get dungeons that are different in some way, uh, which is not a brag. That is a huge downside when you're trying to run published adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm very much of the, you know, I've I've never visited our battle maps, but I have definitely made use of Google and Pinterest to search for battle maps. Uh-huh. And I will basically like, may have a vague idea of the thing I want, but if I find something that looks cool that's remotely close, well, there's my battle map for it. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, figuring out how I want to use it. I did a, in the ETU game, I did a sort of thing where they basically went to a Renaissance fair and had to fight a Minotaur in the maze. And I couldn't find a good map that really represented the, the hedge maze. Not one that I, I that worked for what I wanted without me doing a whole lot of um, photoshopping and playing with the image. So I basically just found something remotely close, narrated up to them finding the center, and then having to fight the Minotaur. So they had a cool scene for where they were fighting the Minotaur, but we didn't worry about the rest of the hedge maze because it just got too tedious mm-hmm. to try and find something. So. You know, I I just I think it dropped just a day or two before this, but I I I've been porting over things from video games, and I talked about the mini map in video mm-hmm. games, and you know how back in you know oh anytime you open any JRPG, there's a little just hand drawn like we would have done on grid and paper back in the day, and I'm kind mm-hmm. of a fan for for where I've used that of just like yeah here's the terrain and the layout, you know like okay I'm gonna walk through and go to the right, because I see there's a passage to the right. I don't have to bother describing, uh, there's a pretty standard dungeon, it heads off to the left, right, and forward. Press west, east, north, or, you know, go back to Zork and all those old things. Because, like, they can see that, they can understand Mm -hmm. that, and if the players are good enough, they're not gonna be like, I'm gonna run all the way up to this place and look, and it's like, no, explore the dungeon. And then, when it's like, like you said, like, and this is the important scene when you fight the Minotaur, we're going to Final Fantasy zoom down. You've got a bigger, interesting kind of cave area or a generic one. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost fits that like nice little hybrid niche of, yeah, you know what it looks like, but then here's the wow moment. Like, mm-hmm. And that yeah. only comes in when, when I want a wow. Yep. We should probably start wrapping up. We've been talking about for about a half an hour, uh, and we don't want to go too much longer because then we'll, you know, get accused of going long. Uh, we don't want to do that. Yeah. So any last words about props and minis in the, the pandemic times? Uh, Google and our battle maps and just <laughs> suddenly there's a river in my cave. Yes, like, <laughs> go for it. That, that's what I say. Don't, don't sweat it. Go for it. L- lean on other people's expertise. Yes, absolutely. And that is, that is true of everything. Use the materials at hand, whether they're electronic or material or anything. Ange, any final thoughts from you? I'm going to echo what you were saying, Chuck. Do it because you enjoy mm-hmm. it. Don't do it because you feel you have to. Find the find the stuff you take joy in and focus in that. It's like you can 
run a game without having to put too much effort into it and your players will still appreciate it. You know, only only put the effort into the high detail, high effort stuff unless you, if you want to. So, this show is funded by the Gnomesu Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomesu website to the Gnomesu Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Honey, I Shrunk the Gamers. Want to give your players the real deal once we can actually get back together in person? Set up your terrain and shrink your players down to give them a mini-eye view of the terrain they're fighting monsters in. That Tarrasque is going to look pretty impressive when they're looking up at it. If you're enjoying the Gnome Cast, you'll probably like many of the other Mr. Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Jang Hu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jang Hu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films, then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Chuck, where else can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at innocuouschuck, which is approximately one part gaming to nine parts leftist politics. So uh, <laughs> feel free to follow if you want. Give it a shot. You'll learn a lot about me. What about you, Ange? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13. Though Twitter's kind of quiet right now, and Instagram is mostly pictures of my cats, but there you go. John, what about you? Uh, mostly right now in our battle map, stealing other people's stuff. Uh, <laughs> no, I can be found wherever uh, uh, good or mediocre John Arcadians are bought or sold. Uh, it, it's pretty much just me out there on the internet, except for the Doppelbur, which many people have heard of. But if you Google me, you'll find me. So do you think the mini-map of the stew is ready for us this week, or can we sneak, sneak out? I don't know. I, I personally would not mind being in the stew at this point, just so I can see other people. Even if we are in the process of being boiled alive. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. You know, the, the perspectives change as time goes on. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But it's true. Since, since I made the map of the stew and have been around since the beginning, I know where the secret passages are in the tunnels. And, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm okay living. Okay, just to bring it back for just a second, have we ever actually made a battle map of the Gnome Stew headquarters? Because I need that. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Pause for Rob. Might want to cut this stuff out or might not want to cut it out. It's going to get left in. Oh, yes, I'm, no, I'm sure. I'm in. sure.